0: From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another ugly tomato episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. The tomato harvest isn't pretty for many of you out there. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll discuss the things that can cause mealy flavor and black specks all over. Plus, a close look at those giant Asian jumping worms. And of course, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and sardonically situational salutation. So keep your eyes and ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you cursing the rain and your lack of calcium right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we're going to tell you what went wrong with your tomatoes this year and what you can do about it next season. We're also going to talk to Dr. Erica Hanicle about the Asian jumping worm that has people very concerned. But before that, your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. All right, Joanne. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Joanne. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm just Ducky. Thanks for asking. We may have changed studios, but Ducky is in his contract to come along. Um, and <laughs> wh- wh- where, are, where are you?
1: I'm in Abington, Pennsylvania.
0: I know Abington, Pennsylvania. Very well. Crossroads of, what, 611 and 202? Mount your
1: blind road.
0: Yeah. Abington, PA. What can we do for you?
1: Uh, Well, I'm having an issue with my tomatoes. As they get bigger, they're developing these sort of depressed black I don't know, spots, Mm -hmm. lesions on them Mm -hmm. and when you cut them open the black actually goes into the meat of the tomatoes Mm. I was wondering if maybe it was some kind of fungus because we've had a lot of humidity and rain here lately we ought to mention
0: we ought to have a duck on the show not you ducky We need a duck on this show to drop down from the ceiling every time somebody says fungus, like they used to on You Bet Your Life with Show. I mean, that is everything is a fungus. The the handle fell off my shovel. Was that a fungus? Now, um, when your tomatoes went bad, did they go bad at the blossom end on the bottom or Uh just—
1: on the sides, actually. I sent a picture in my email, actually, so you could see them.
0: Well, I never got it.
1: But no, <laughs> not like Bossa like Menrod. It's different. It's something I've never seen before.
0: And um, obviously you've had uh, a lot of water in short periods of time um, during oh, the yeah. summer. Uh, raised, yep. raised beds or flat ground?
1: Raised beds. Okay. And I put the the eggshells in the, in the growing hole like you recommended.
0: Very good. Have you noticed uh, a lot of stink bugs on your tomatoes this None, year? None,
1: surprisingly.
0: None. And you haven't seen yeah, this? Yeah,
1: usually other years we see some, but not this year.
0: And what varieties are you growing?
1: Oh, God, everything. Yeah? It seems to be worse on the beef steaks.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, is it possible that the beef steaks are splitting, and then disease or insects are getting in there, no? Oh
1: No, they're not splitting this year.
0: And um, you say it's black inside, not white.
1: It's black inside, yeah. It seems to come from the black lesions on the outside into the meat of the tomato.
0: Well, I, I would say then almost certainly something is attacking them there are certain types of insects like the um... like stink bugs that just by walking on the tomato they cause these kind of lesions that go inside mm. have you uh... have you cut a? Uh, is there any way you can cut away enough of the tomato to get enough to eat
1: yeah well, on the beefsteaks i can do that because they're big enough that you can cut the nasty part out and still have some tomato left
0: right and how how does that tomato taste it's fine. And uh, you're growing in raised beds. I presume you use yep. compost. Has has there been any? Yep, o- I make my
1: own compost, yep.
0: And no artificial fertilizer of any kind? Uh, no. Nah. Okay. All right, who screens these calls? Come on. Somebody's got to be doing it. <laughs> what are you doing to me here? You're making me look bad to the people out there. Um I've, I've, we've been hearing a lot from people um, who got a lot of rain this year. And the symptoms are, you know, they seem to be all over the place. Um, uh-huh. there, there are diseases and cultural problems that sound a little bit like what you have. But uh, none of it adds up completely. Um, so, and, and it's continuing. It's not stopping.
1: That's right. Well, Although it, now maybe we're having some decent weather. Maybe it'll slow down. Yeah. we're actually having a decent week this
0: week. I um, I spoke to someone a while ago in Indianapolis that um, had uh, mealy tomatoes, and I think it's just uh, it's the luck of the draw this year. No tomato yeah. really is going to do well if if its roots never get to dry out. So mm-hmm. and, and you crushed up a dozen eggshells in each planting hole.
1: Yep, put them in the plant holes. Yep, okay. which made a big difference for the the uh, blossom end rot.
0: Okay, good. Well, I
1: used to get that, yeah, but that's that's doing the trick.
0: Yeah, I I still think it's cultural. I think it's from all the rain. And as you said, now that the rain, at least at this point in time when we're taping this call, has settled back a little bit, um, I think you got a chance. Now, um, can you see the problem while the tomato is growing?
1: It seems to be more on, on as they get closer to turning red.
0: Yeah, see, now, now we got... It's... But it
1: could just be because the little ones, you don't see it as much.
0: Yeah. And do you have any varieties that are doing better?
1: Actually, the, the um, cherry tomato, yellow cherry tomatoes are doing fabulously.
0: Uh-huh. uh-huh. That goes right <laughs> along with what the other calls I've been getting. Uh, you know, the uh, yellow tomatoes of, of any size seem to be invulnerable to these uh, meteorological... Disturbances. If if something well, is good. yeah, if something is out there that is blemished already, that you can see it, and mm-hmm. as soon as it turns red, bring it in and make sauce with the good parts. Um, yeah. But the more what I've been doing t- good, the more tomatoes you pull off, I think the more it'll allow the plant to reset, and yeah. Um, and give you good tomatoes at the end of the season. You know, some some years I can remember I got tomatoes all the way through like August fifteenth, and and everything went to Hades. And then <laughs> I, I had other seasons where uh, you know nothing was happening, watering too much, the tomatoes were leaning over, smoking cigarettes, complaining. And then at the end of the season, it got really nice. And we got a magnificent run of late tomatoes. So I would say glean everything you got out there because you still got plenty of time. Um, Use what you. I
1: do have a bed of all yellow tomatoes. They haven't become ripe yet. And I I think they're looking better than the red. So you could be right.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's not necessarily me being right, I'm just filtering reports. Uh, but yeah, that I'm yeah. hearing more and more yellow pear and yellow, um, yeah,
1: tangerine is one of them.
0: Really, I'm not making anything up or discovering anything, I'm just filtering mm-hmm. information. I'm yeah. getting, and everybody having problems says the uh, the yellow pear tomatoes and the yellow uh, cherry tomatoes are, are doing great. So, this, yeah, they're
1: doing wonderfully, yeah. yeah.
0: And it is the biggest tomatoes uh, that suffer the most from um, unequal watering, you know, long droughts and then floods. Yeah. So pick what you got. Well,
1: I'm I'm saying so it's true.
0: Yeah, pick what you got and be ruthless um, because, you know, the plant will expend some moisture and energy uh, setting new flowers and fruits. And this is, you know, this is a good time to do it. You should still get a lot of fresh eating.
1: Yeah. Okay,
0: Mike. All right. Steve, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Hello, I'm calling from Wethersfield, south of Hartford,
0: Connecticut. Oh, very good. Nice to hear from you, Steve. What can we do for you? I'm wondering if it's too late to prune large shrubs. Well, uh, what kind of shrubs? Are they spring bloomers? Uh,
2: Well, beauty bush, azalea, mock
0: orange, viburnum, red twig, dogwood, and wygala. Okay, so why do you feel the need to prune them? Uh, Most of it's opportunity because I've got a gardener who's ready, and I've got the funds.
2: And to some extent, they're shading over other plants.
0: Okay, well, those sound like bad reasons. Um, Okay. uh, You know, anytime it's convenient for you to do something, it's probably wrong for the plants. (laughs) Yeah, really, I mean, um, I don't know what your relationship with the gardener or anything is. Maybe you can pay now and have them prune later. Uh, But the perfect time, as you know, to prune all these plants is after they bloom in the spring. And, you know, then you can uh, make sure they're not shading the other plants and you'll get, you know, you'll get a good springtime show. We we should appreciate uh, what we get in the spring more. I mean, let's face it, is there a better cure for the month of March yeah. than azaleas and rhododendrons and spring bulbs coming up?
2: Is there a, a um, bad reason to prune them in the dead of winter? Or the uh, the end of
0: winter? Yes, because then you're going to remove the flower buds that are about to open. Now, if they are not okay. if they are not spring bloomers, if they're summer bloomers, um, you can have them cut back now. This isn't the worst time of year, uh, but don't cut anything back after. You say you're up in Connecticut? I would not prune anything yeah. back. I would not prune anything back um, after September 1st, because then you're starting, yeah, September, uh, because then you're starting to get into the fall season. And if you prune in the fall and it stimulates new growth, that new growth could be damaged by winter. So, uh, you can prune away now. I mean, even the spring bloomers, if you don't go crazy, the only thing that'll happen is you'll lose a couple of, uh, couple of blooms but you know more I think about it if the person is there you can afford it I would just really go gentle on spring bloomers and no matter what don't cut away or don't let them cut away more than one third of the plant in any one pruning spell
2: yeah that's been about my philosophy Take, take it directly from the base about a third
0: yes Yeah, about a third of the plant, and that tends to make sure you open them up to airflow and remove the shade. And then should we get hit by a really dry spell afterwards, (laughs) make sure the plants stay well watered. Yes, okay.
2: In an earlier broadcast, can I ask another question? Sure. You talked about kitty litter. Go ahead. Okay, you said kitty litter is okay for compost as long as I remove the solids.
0: No, no. No. No, kitty litter... Okay. Kitty litter is okay to pour down a groundhog uh, hole to try to evict the groundhog. Uh, But under no circumstances uh, does any kind of cat or dog waste go into the compost pile. You know, I I know it's... Okay, so it's not just a chemical. uh, Well, there's, you know, there's no chemicals really in kitty litter. It's just clay. Um, although there's some fancy ones out yeah. there made from other natural materials. So there, there's no chemicals in them, uh, but the fecal matter okay. of cats can uh, contain parasites, even if the cat is an indoor cat all the time. And same for dog. Uh-huh. Any, anything with soft paws is prone to picking up worms and, and other parasites. And I wish there were a better use for used kitty litter for those of us who don't have a groundhog hole uh, to pour it down. Um, And I invite anybody, I mean, you could use it for fill. I mean, you could line your landscape with it to try to keep away deer. Um, But no, not in the compost. Okay,
2: very good. I needed to know that. Uh, I guess that also, in terms of of filling holes, I guess that's good for... um, Chipmunks and rabbits too, right?
0: Well, rabbits don't dig. You know, American rabbits don't dig holes. I mean, right. they no. That's uh, Bugs Bunny is a fraud. He's actually a European hare uh, that dig uh, very deep and um, convoluted burrows. But American rabbits just sit on top of the grass. That's why you see their young unprotected um, so often. So they don't make mm. holes. Um, uh, chipmunks tend to live in rock walls and other things like that with little cavities, but big holes are generally groundhogs and they need to be filled in and you need to try to evict them.
2: Okay. Cause, uh, I really thought the two holes in the back of my garden were rabbit, but I'll, I'll look closer.
0: Well, fine. Um, yeah. So I'll dump the, find a little uh, girl in the neighborhood named Alice, ask her to see if she can go down go. one of the holes and then she'll come back with a story for you. Very good. All right, sir? Yes, thank you very much. All right, good luck to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that it is almost out of time time for cool season grass growers to seed a new lawn, overseed an existing one, core aerate and or dethatch an existing lawn, except you should not do both the coring and the dethatching in any single season. And basically get out there and do something because you should not do any of these things in the spring. That's when you move aside and let warm season grass growers take the point. But don't go looking up the reasons why in our archives of hundreds of answers to your garden questions just yet because we'll be right back with terrible tomatoes and more of your terrible phone calls. i miserly Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden, From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. It's time to welcome a guest I've been looking forward um, to bringing on to the show. Now, let me, I hope I get this right. Our guest is Dr. Erica Hannickel. She is professor of environmental history at Northland College in Ashland, Wisconsin. Um, She's also the author of Orchid Muse, The Story of an Obsession in Fifteen Flowers, coming out in 2022. And Empire of Vines, The History of Wine Culture in America, which came out in 2013. All right, Professor, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Thank you so much, Mike. This is really nice to be on. I have listened to your show for years upon years.
0: All right. Now, <laughs> Dr. Erica, uh, you sent me a, an email about this new, I don't know what you'd call it, a frenzy emphasis, um, Asian jumping worms. I mean, they've stolen the spotlight from murder hornets.
3: Yeah. Unfortunately you know, the information that I'm receiving up here as a master gardener in Wisconsin and kind of being tapped into um, garden networks throughout kind of northern Minnesota, too, is that Asian jumping worms are actually a pretty serious threat, um, especially with our northern for, uh, forests. Yeah. And I think that this applies to most you know, most of basically the top third of the United States, um, the part that was, was covered in the little ice age, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this year, it, it really kind of came into focus for me because before our annual spring plant sale in Duluth, um, the Master Gardeners were sending around information from the University of Minnesota and urging everyone to not swap any potted plants that had been dug up from like backyard garden soil, um, for fear that it could carry the worms and or their eggs.
0: I have to tell you, since this whole issue came up, I realized that I can no longer, um, send my garlic bulbs to my brother in Virginia. I wanted to trade garlic with one of my friends who owns a seed company. And I thought, no, I'm not certified. I can't get a sanitary uh, certificate. I can't even get one for me. But, um, you know, this whole pass along plants, uh, which has been so popular. I mean, so many things now are, are a part of the past. I mean...
4: Yeah, I went yep. to my
0: first movie in two years. You know, my favorite restaurant still isn't open. Um, I leave the supermarket if more than fifty percent of the people um, are mask free. I won't mention what I call right. in public. But this is just <laughs> right. This is just getting ugly. I mean, it's not related it to COVID, but so many things that are happening at the same time. Are changing. Oh, it's
3: exactly right.
0: Now I have yeah. to tell you yeah. that since um, I, uh, since this all came up, what two three years ago, I checked my garden. All my wormies were fine, and then just this season, after a couple of heavy rains, there were these long and I guess thick worms that almost resembled um, three quarters of a garden snake, garter snake. And, oh gosh. and I wanted to see, um you know, oh, so you're the jumping bean, and I touched it, and it jumped it was um it was not a little hop, it was a jump, <laughs> stuck the landing yeah, the, too,
3: yeah, you know. man, man, I mean, I think the the frightening thing about the jumping worms is. You know they're changing the soil structure so rapidly, and really it's mineral content because they process the leaf litter so much faster. They're causing more erosion, and this is you know relative to like your red wigglers are our kind of you know normal worms coast to coast by this point. Um, but the scariest thing for me as an environmental historian, you know, right now thinking long term, is that. The soils invaded by jumping worms are also releasing more carbon dioxide and, you know, as well as outcompeting other worms um, that might be beneficial, you know, in certain types of ecosystems.
0: Up to now, there was this large group of people who are claiming that our regular earthworms um, were also not native and... um, they were doing the same thing. They were over, and and what we're talking about really is overfeeding the forest floor, right?
3: Right, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, it, you know, it's, and that that is still the case up here. I mean, you can talk to botanists and ecologists up here and they will tell you, you know, please don't dump your garden soil out in the woods Um, and, and, you know anywhere near any wild lands because you know we can still slow the spread at least of of those types of worms i mean the the asian jumping worms are are especially bad for northern temperate hardwood forests because they're also reducing the understory so that's making room for other invasive so it's not a literal direct attack on the largest trees in our forest it's the understory and so thereby degrading the ecosystem and and then degrading their trees on top of that and so like with the processing of the soil and the potential for the degradation of the forest environment you're talking about losing a whole lot of more carbon capturing ability, which is is kind of what I'm thinking about um, a whole lot these days. Three right.
0: quarters of the planet can't wait to burn it up. If, if this summer didn't convince them that climate change was wrong, then I think the next thing uh, God has to unleash is uh, the plague of locusts and the reign of frogs and toads.
3: Yeah, I mean, it really is a difference in quality and in scale. Here's the one kind of saving grace. With Asian jumping worms, they really do actually move quite slowly north on their own. So to get good purchase on in northern soils, mm-hmm. they have to be physically brought here. They're not going to just kind of, like, magically move north many hundreds of miles.
0: They're not going Um, to leave my garden beds and go down the shore in the summertime.
3: Right. I mean, they move, like, inches to feet per year. Okay. And, you know, but if we're giving them, you know, hitching a ride with us 50 miles north, 150 miles north, if you're going to,
0: yeah. Erica, this has changed So much of my perspective and so much of my answers, you know, email. Dear Mike, we are moving from upstate New York to California. Um, We're taking all of our plants with us. Um, How, you know, can we take them in an open uh, bed truck, truck bed? Um, and before it was, no, no, you want to throw a tarp over it. You want them to be protected somewhat. And now you got, there's so many things I have to tell people they're not allowed to do. I want to keep this in the front of my conscience, conscience, right? No, no, not my conscience, my consciousness, consciousness, right? Which is failing me tremendously right now, but yeah. You know, how many times have we turned around and gone, wow, this changes everything?
3: I know. I know. You know, you you often on your show talk about um, good citizen science
2: opportunities. Right. Mm-hmm. And
3: I feel like there's really potential here with, with this specific issue. Because there are there's something called Great Lakes Worm Watch. I don't know if you've heard this. It's a great resource. You can Google it. It's called Great Lakes Worm Watch.
0: I'm sorry, but that's and a boring hobby.
3: <laughs> look, look, it well, moved. They've got they've got citizen science, you know, projects on there. But I'm also wondering if, you know, gardeners who are listening to your show might want to try solarizing or might want to try other methods of eradicating those worms if they know that they have them, because I have read that prolonged drought can kill them off. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wonder if, you know, solarizing your soil might help as well. You know, they live in only just the top few inches of soil. Mm -hmm. And I've also read that if you can achieve, um, Three days sustained at 85 degrees or higher. Now, that's not going to be possible everywhere, but it it would be possible in some areas.
0: You're saying to solarize the soil using uh, clear plastic, one to three mils, saturated soil, put the plastic over, use bricks to keep it tight at the end, that you can solarize these guys in three days, you know, because normally it takes a whole season.
3: Right. It's not, it it has not been sort of widespread practice. All of the official websites, like the University of Minnesota and stuff, say that there is no remedy.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: But if you dig in some other corners, there have been people experimenting with these types of methods. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see people experiment more. I mean, I don't know that we have anything
0: to lose. I mean, we've right. got the emerald ash borer. Now we've got this lovely lanternfly. Yeah. So I want to get back to that, uh, but as to the citizen science, again, you know, I'm a huge proponent of that. And one yeah. way one way this could work for you is simply have people go to this Worm Watch, which they totally stole from Monarch Watch, please. Um, (laughs) It's a good concept, yep. I want to tag worms. (laughs) Tag fell off again. Um, um, But would it be valuable to you and your colleagues uh, to get reports from gardeners, uh, forget all over the country. We've got all over the world listening to the yeah. podcast. <clears throat> we may have more people right. listening overseas um, than here. Right. How about if, um, I don't know if your worm watch is set up for this, um, but how about just anybody who sees these creatures in their garden, just check in, um, reveal you know, the exact place where they live. I think you can use Google to, like, latitude and longitude mm-hmm. and everything, right? Mm-hmm. And that way mm-hmm. you'd have an idea of what the range is now and if it expands over the next five years.
3: I think that would be an absolutely invaluable set of data, um, for the researchers here. I am not directly involved in Great Lakes Worm Watch. Mm-hmm. I am just a kind of fangirl <laughs> um, and, and have been, been checking them out um, for a while. Do
0: you have their T-shirt? Um,
3: exactly, exactly. Oh, man, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's That's an Etsy product waiting to happen.
0: Oh, my God. Um, Watch your worms. Right. They're coming for you. Okay. Now, here's, here's what I want to um, finish up with. The nature of nature is change. Um, I think one of the things that the native plant people forget is those plants may have been just naturally replaced. Nature is not static and I don't believe she ever has been. So um I have I had a hard time with the earthworm thing threatening our forests. Um now that we've got this new introduction I can I can get my head around it, but it just it seems counterintuitive. Um that we're overfeeding right. our trees, you know, with natural right. worm castings. Everybody, right. if you have Asian jumping worms, send them to box 65A, New Rochelle, New York, and we will put them in controlled worm bins and turn out the best castings you've ever seen for your tomatoes.
3: <laughs> so, you know, wh- the, 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 the nature is always changing um, sentiment is, is absolutely true. But I will share with you one other sentiment that I make sure that my students in my environmental history courses take home with them, that they take to the bank, they, they stock it up and they remember because the number one lesson of environmental history is that when humans decide to make a good impact on the earth it happens when we sort of let industry go and and let everything else go um this is when you know the incidents with DDT happens this is when we need our Rachel Carsons this is when we need um everyone else kind of stepping up and saying no we're going to make a decision to make this change um And so I think, you know, along with global climate change, we know, of course, that that's that's a human imprint. But with all the little um, pieces that go into that, we should also think about how we can make change um, all all the way up the ladder.
0: This has been very informative, and I want to thank you for your time. But we do have to wrap up. Now, um, Wormwatch... Uh, people can find that and they can see what they can do. Yep. Um, don't trade plants. Don't move soil. I mean, we've been saying that about firewood um, for years and years. Um, and we can slow it down, but I don't think we can ever stop it.
3: I, I just want to say thanks um, to you, Mike. Your, your show has been a really bright light for me. And I know a lot of other people in, in COVID times as well. You've You've been a real help to get us out of our heads and into our gardens for a while.
0: I'm just a mensch. What can I say?
3: <laughs> you sure are.
0: All right. <laughs> um, I want to thank Dr. Erica Hamicle, um, author of books on orchids and wine, grape vines. She is professor of environmental history at Northland College in Ashland, Wisconsin. And I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Keep an eye on us and tell us how we're doing.
3: Thanks so much.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone out there, we'll be right back with Tales of Tough Tomatoes and more of your tough phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. That's right. In just a couple of minutes, we'll be getting to the question of the week, why your tomatoes either looked so bad, tasted so bad, or for you lucky ones, both. But first, another phone call at 888-492-9444. Ed, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank
4: you, Mike. Uh, I'm a new fan this summer, and it's an honor to speak with you.
0: Uh, well, we'll try to change your opinion during this little talk. Uh, where are you, Ed? I'm in
4: Downingtown, Pennsylvania,
0: Chester County. I know where that is. Very nice area. All right. What can we do for Ed in Downingtown, P.A.
4: So I've been fighting a, a multi-year battle um, with what I understand to be Japanese stiltgrass in my flower beds, um, vegetable areas, and the entire lawn, mm-hmm. and um, I'm starting to wonder if, if it's a battle I can even win, and I, I want to see if I'm, if I'm doing the right things.
0: Japanese stiltgrass makes itself apparent in lawns because it grows two, three times as fast. So it becomes very obvious in a lawn what kind of grass are you growing in the lawn?
4: Uh, so I think um I think there's a battle going on between multiple species i I think um it's predominantly uh, i suppose cold
0: season you know Pennsylvania mix okay it's mostly been put down okay um Japanese stiltgrass grass seems impossible, but this is one of those quote, weeds, uh, that pulls easily from wet soil. Um, so really what you have to do is a pulling party, um, you know, fire up the barbecue, get a couple of cases of really good beer, invite everybody, you know, uh, give them gloves and, uh, have them pull. And interestingly enough, Japanese stiltgrass um, is also edible. Uh, the roots, I believe, are very similar uh, to bamboo shoots. So, you know, what better way to get even with a weed than having it for dinner? Wow! So that's um, that's the real answer. Um, it I don't think it would um, it would be susceptible to a flame weeder. Or one of the new um, iron-based herbicides. But, you know, pulling, it's the old, that's the old herbicide. Pull it up. But, you know, you have to be diligent. You have to get it all. And after that, you know, if you do a good pulling party, after that you may notice, you know, a couple of shoots here and there. And you'll know. Soak the soil thoroughly. Reach down until your hand is touching the soil, and pull slowly. This is not, I hate you, I'm yanking you out. You do that, all those rhizomes are going to be left underground. Now, there may be some other advice um, that's not coming into my tortured brain right now. So, I want you to go to the website, youbetchourgarden.org, Click on answers to millions of your garden questions, okay, it says hundreds, and then type uh, stiltgrass into the uh, search finder, and you'll find at least one, perhaps two or three articles we've written about it, that goes into more detail and might have other other options, but definitely it'll also tell you how to eat it.
4: More generally, if if I may ask, my my obsession with this uh, causes me to now see it everywhere. Um, if my neighbors are less concerned, is this ultimately hopeless, or do you think I can maintain my, my boundaries independently?
0: Well, it's been a while since I looked this up or anything, but I believe it spreads uh, by underground rhizomes like bamboo. So if there is space between you and your neighbors, you're okay. But if they don't do anything, it could eventually grow over to your side. And if you want to prevent that, that would mean um, fairly deep edging, which you can buy at any home store, garden center, and drive it into the ground, and kind of create a little wall around your wanted plants. I understand. Thank you for your advice. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Well, it's that time again, cats and kittens, the question of the week. What went wrong with my tomatoes? Now, During my last taping, the first two phone calls I fielded were about tomatoes. Can of corn, right? Two softballs to start the day, right? Wrong. First, I struggled with mealy-tasting tomatoes, and then tomatoes with black centers, feeling inadequate on both answers. But then I heard my response to one of the questions on the podcast and the other one on the TV show. Uh, Different people edit those shows, and I never know what the final versions will look or sound like. But you should definitely watch and or listen to both. All right. Turns out my answers were pretty good after all, but I still think I should have done better. So here's the, ah, he's had some time to think about it version. The first call was from Amy in Indianapolis, who wanted to know why her tomatoes tasted mealy. In response to my stalling for time questions, she explained that they had been deluged by tons of rain early in the season, and her first crop was pretty much lost to blossom end rot. And then I kind of nailed it when I asked if she had used my crushed eggshells in the planting hole trick. And she, sheepishly, sheepishly? Sheep, like a sheep, revealed that this was the first time in 10 years she had forgotten to do it. Too much rain and lack of calcium in the soil, I proclaimed. I was sweating bullets, but it turned out to be a good diagnosis. That's one for me. The Mississippi State Extension reports that the most common causes of mealy-tasting tomatoes are too much water, especially early in the season, too much nitrogen in the soil, and too little potassium. Potassium? Potassium, You, you know what I mean, and calcium. They also point out that some varieties are more susceptible than others, but they don't name names. And, of course, they warn us to avoid the agony of defeat by never putting tomatoes in the fridge. Temperatures below 55 degrees ruin the flavor and make tomatoes mealy. Other sources also warned of too much water early in the season, especially in container-grown fruits. Always use the biggest pots possible. The condition generally affects the first-grown fruits when they're still too tiny to process much water. Ah, but too much water at the end of the season can also dilute the flavor. Many sources add that tomatoes grow best and develop their finest flavor in soil with a pH of around 6.5, which is just slightly acidic and right in the perfect pH zone for most of the plants of summer. The reason goes back to calcium, as a low pH won't allow the plants to take up any calcium that is in the soil. If your pH is low, bring it up with agricultural lime or ashes from a hardwood stove, both of which also supply calcium. And finally, All sources approve of eating the fruit, but cooked like in tomato sauce, where lots of added herbs and stuff can enhance the flavor. I use Asian hoisin sauce for this. Search online and you'll find a surprisingly large number of, quote, mealy tomato recipes. A site called My Recipes lists at least 35 different options. Joanne in Abington, PA, was the second call. She did do the eggshells, but her tomatoes developed black spots on the outside that led to black centers, which sure sounded like some kind of blossom end rot to me. And several sources agreed that the cause might be an unusual form of blossom end rot, but this one doesn't cause black spots on the outside indicating that she probably has a different problem. Among the dizzying number of choices offered by Clemson University are early blight, caused by pathogens in the soil. Be sure to strictly observe a three-year rotation of tomatoes and other crops in the solanaceous family, like potatoes, peppers, and eggplants maybe even start a new bed, but don't transfer any of the old infected soil to it. In fact, don't even use the same tools. If used early, sprays of copper may help limit the progression. Plant-resistant varieties, which are finally named in this article, bacterial spot, which makes black spots on the outside of the green fruits, but not on the inside. Heavy rain is the most common cause. Spray with copper and try and keep your leaves dry. Anthracnose. Symptoms mesh nicely with crowding a big cause. Provide lots of space between your plants. Mulch the soil with lots of compost to block transmission from soil to plant and cage tomatoes to improve air circulation and be sure to plant them in full sun. <sighs> I could list a few other possibilities, around 250, and that's just in the north, but I'm already depressed by looking at all the dirty pictures of dying tomato plants. See what I go through for you people? If you'd like to get equally depressed, Just check your nearest state extension website for all the terrible things that can happen to your tomatoes. Okay, but the bottom line, don't use high nitrogen fertilizers. Mulch heavily with compost. Space plants three feet apart in full sun in raised beds. Rotate your plants every two or three years. If you don't have that kind of room, grow fewer plants or grow your extras someplace else and always give them plenty of calcium. And if impossibly nasty weather attacks and they're just saturated the whole summer, remember, as in baseball, there's always next year. Well, that sure was more than you wanted to hear about a ton of potential tomato tragedies now, wasn't it? And whether you want it or not, you can read this depressing but informative article over and over at your leisure or your leisure, because the question of the week always appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be singing out, kids, you YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to make my tomatoes taste mealy. If I don't get out of this studio, whew, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at Please include your location. You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows. What do you want? Oh, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half hour public television show, an hour long public radio show and podcast all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a rogue Virginia Beach wave knocked him head over tea kettle, which luckily carried him away from the grasp of an enormous but yet unseen great white shark. What? Yeah, Jaws was on uh, the other day. Why? Why do you ask? Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of pretty pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our brand new Peerless Princess of Profound production is Teresa Radke. As always, our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Not Jake Morris, who's around here moving equipment and I don't know. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our usual gang of idiots generally includes Eric Werner, Zach the Tack, that Jake who is not Boyer. And whoever else is hanging around today, our beloved CEO, Tim, have a donut and you'll feel better, Fallon, continues to put up with me. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, reminding all of you cats and kittens to make every day a fruitful day, or a vegetative day, or arboreal, or... I'll just make it a ducky day, okay? And good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are.